Hello, I'm Robert Royal, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Catholic Thing, a daily column series. And these are The Catholic Thing podcasts, which is a series of conversations, of dialogues uh, with one or more uh, invited guests to talk about some things that are vital to the life of the church. Today, we're uh, happy to have again with us uh, an old, old friend of mine, I shouldn't say old, I should say a long-time friend of mine, Fran Mayer, for 40 years, uh, with neither of us as old, we're, we're both still in, in the springtime of our Catholicity. Fran uh, was for 15 years the editor-in-chief of the National Catholic Register, and for another two and a half, to three vet decades, involved at, in um, various church offices, helping out various bishops, archbishops, and others in our church. And he's got a book coming out soon uh, called True Confessions that maybe we can talk about a bit toward the end, Fran, which is uh, um, reflections on voices of faith in our time. It's not just his own, own reflections, as valuable as those are, but also some interviews he's done with bishops, priests, and others in the church. So we're looking forward to that, Fran. It's coming out, I understand, in February, if that's true. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, listen, our subject today is the recent bishops' meeting in Baltimore. Um, as many of our listeners and viewers probably know, the U.S. bishops get together as a body twice a year. The main meeting is in, in November. There's another one usually in June. And this particular one this year is in the afterglow, so to speak, of the Synod on Synodality in Rome and in various things that are going on in the church. So I thought that Fran would be the ideal person for us to know to talk with about this because he knows from experience with working with bishops. Fran, I assume you've been to several of these uh, these gatherings of bishops in, in November over the years. So let, let, before we get down to specifics, let me just ask you your, your broad reaction to what happened. Was there anything that was surprising to you in this year's meeting last week of our American bishops? Well, I mean, of course, the biggest surprise were the uh, uh, competitive interpretations of the future and the past on the part of uh, uh, the Cardinal Nuncio, and also uh, Archbishop Brolio, who's president of the conference. And it's very polite, very respectful, but they clearly had um, different views of uh, the priorities of the uh, church in this country. And I was glad to see that. I mean, I think Archbishop Brolio is a very intelligent and sensible man, and uh, he wasn't servile. He wasn't disrespectful, but he wasn't servile in his comments. And I think that's very healthy. Um, mm. Oh, the, I think you mentioned at the beginning of this, Bob, that this was taking place in the afterglow of the, of, uh, the first session of the, of the Synod on Synodality. I think it's also taking place in the afterglow, if you can call it that, of some really imprudent and offensive remarks that the Pope made about the Church in the United States um, a little while ago and then were echoed in an interview that um, Cardinal Pierre did. So... Um, Again, the atmosphere was very respectful, but I do think that that's impacted the way the American bishops are going to be proceeding over the next couple of years in their relationship with Rome. Yeah, we should probably let our, our viewers and listeners know that the Pope spoke about um, 
his own criticisms of the, the church in the United States, which I think lots of us didn't recognize as being accurate about our church. And I hope your book, Fran, helps enlighten some people over in Rome about what the church is actually like here. But then Archbishop, uh, now Cardinal Pierre, who's the papal nuncio to, to uh, the United States, gave an interview to America Magazine a couple of weeks ago in which he repeated some things. Nobody goes to church here. Uh, our conservative bishops, priests are kind of inward looking. And I, it was that to which I think Cardinal Broglio was, re, Archbishop uh, Broglio was responding in the sense that we already have a great deal of synodality. The, uh, the Cardinal tried to connect in his remarks at last month, at last week's uh, gathering, the um, idea of synodality with the Eucharistic revival, which I thought was fine. I thought the text purely as a text was fine. It was the subtext and the back text uh, that uh, Brolio had to respond to and, and by pointing out the vibrancy that exists in a lot of our parishes. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that was kind of my reaction to. Yeah, I think, I think people need to realize that there's always been a certain amount of tension uh, between the church in the United States and Rome. This isn't something new in a sense because, um, you know, we have an ocean separating us. We're a foreign country to the European churches. And uh, we grew up in a culture that was you know, Protestant and Enlightenment informed as opposed to Latin America. And uh, and now we're post both of those things in a situation that where our culture is even more complicated and negative. But I don't think that the church, we have a different perspective on things from, uh, I think, Rome in some cases. And that's not new uh, because of our experience here in this country. But I think, uh, I think what's being missed by Rome is that there is also a real bias toward fidelity on the on the part of American bishops. And that goes back to the mission um, the mission founding of the church in the United States. For a very long time, we were a, a, a minority that was treated in a very negative way by the majority populace in this country. And so we naturally looked to Rome to be our um, protection and counsel. Uh, so there's this mix of um, differences with Rome in terms of the, uh, of the way that we do things, but also uh, profound fidelity. And of the bishops that I've met uh, and interviewed over the last couple of years, I mean, there's no question about their faithfulness to the Holy Father and to the, and to the office of Peter. But they do have a problem uh, when uh, comments coming out of the Vatican are so completely disconnected from the reality on the ground here. And uh, that causes ambivalence, certainly a great deal of frustration, um, but no infidelity. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly spot on. Let's get down to some specifics. Um, one of the things that I think may be uh, surprising to a, a people for, of a European perspective is that our bishops chose once again to reaffirm the preeminence of the, impo the importance of defending life in the womb. Now, we know that going all the way back to Cardinal McCarrick in the early 2000s, there have been efforts through him and through other figures here in the United States, more recently Cardinal Supich, to uh, not affirm that pro-life um, st uh, stand as preeminent, that it is one among others in a, a seamless garment. But yet our bishops chose again this year, again, without disrespect toward Rome, but because we have really been so strong, I think, internationally in the fight for defending unborn life, that um, I think the reaction is going to be ra rather um, unusual because in Europe, and I think in Latin America pretty much as, as well, there isn't as much of an emphasis, and it's one of the ways that we stand out as different from the other parts of the church. 
I think that I think the church in the United States is probably the only church in the world that has remained faithful to unborn children. You know, I, I, Bob, you know that my wife and I have a son with Down syndrome, and so it's a priority for us. But it should be a priority for everyone, this abortion issue, because it's the clearest example of a culture um, killing, I mean, com- committing homicide against uh, an innocent life. And that's simply, there's nothing equivalent to that. I mean, to be pro-life, you have to be considerably, you have to be interested in a lot of other things. But not all issues have the same gravity. And there's nothing more important than preventing the killing, the intentional killing of innocent life. You know, I mean, it's the same with genocide. You don't kill the innocent, and that's what abortion does. And so we can't, uh, you can't demote it or contextualize it in terms of, you know, health care for everybody or the homeless. Those are important issues, but they don't involve the intentional direct killing of, of human life. And that's why such importance is attached to it by, by the American bishops. Yeah. Now, and I think our, our bishops are the only ones who actually put some pressure on um, uh, on politicians who claim to be Catholic, like our president, unfortunately, who seem to be advocates more for, for uh, abortion than they are for the, the faith action. Well, already, what's always struck me as, as interesting, Bob, is uh, the pressure from folks who would otherwise consider themselves progressive to, de- uh, to demote this issue and contextualize it among a lot of other issues. I think it's an embarrassment uh, to a certain kind of Catholic attitude that um, really is collaborationist in a way with uh, cultural trends that we, we shouldn't be resisting. And that's the source of um, not just anxiety, but uh, real bafflement on my part. Yeah, I mean, certainly globally, there are in, entire countries now who are, are seem to be hell-bent, and I think that's the right word, to make sure that no children with Down syndrome are born. I mean, your son would ne- never have been born in, in some places, yeah. which I won't name right now, but we see that trend certainly happening, that almost no one is allowed to come to birth who, who has uh, Down syndrome. Yeah. Um, let me ask you some other questions about the bishop's meeting. Uh, our friends J.D. Flynn and Ed Condon at The Pillar um, did an analysis recently in which they claimed that the members of the American hierarchy who were the closest to the Holy Father, um, namely Cardinal, Sup- Cardinal Supich and Tobin and McElroy, mm-hmm. um, have pretty much given up on the USCCB because our bishops, at least in their understanding, in Rome's understanding and, and the Cardinal's understanding, is a, it's a hierarchy that's mostly been nominated or at least follows the, um, the, the guidance set up by John Paul II and by Benedict. 16th. And so uh, Ed Condon and J.D. have been saying that the emphasis uh, of those closest to the Holy Father in our American hierarchy now is in the dicastery for bishops, because both Subic and Tobin are members of that dicastery, and so that they can name bishops. I mean, do you see that happening? And what do you think is the likely outcome of um, that approach to the future of who's nominated as a bishop here in the United States? Well, if it goes on long enough, it could have a, um, a very large impact on the on the, on the future struck or future mood of the bishops in the United States. But um, you know, I think you, you mentioned that most of the bishops here, the currently serving, are very much influenced by John Paul II and, and um, Benedict XVI. But I would go, I would track that family tree back farther to John the Twenty Third and to Paul the Sixth. I mean, John Paul and 
Benedict were consistent, thoroughly consistent, with the development of, of the Vatican's uh, Vatican Council's thinking from John the Twenty Third onward. The direction that's being taken now, I would say, I would argue, among by this pontificate, is a very different direction. So um, it's not that conservatives came to power after Paul VI and, and distorted the, the uh, content of the council. They were completely consistent with it. What's going on now is an attempt to reinterpret the council in a completely different direction. That's why you hear language like, you know, paradigm shift in theology. Um, and I don't think it's the right direction to go in, obviously. Uh, but uh, there is a concern. The bishops that I interviewed, for example, the book that you mentioned, there are a number of bishops who um, expressed concern about the direction of uh, the dicastery uh, that handles the naming of bishops. And they gave specific examples of cases where um, people were appointed who had no contact with uh, no knowledge among the, the local suffragans and metropolitans that they were appointed to be incorporated into. So, I mean, there, there is a, there's a certain amount of apprehension among American bishops as to uh, how that process of appointment of new bishops is handled. And so they're talking about that privately, is what you're, you're saying. Oh, yeah. Of course, we don't Pri hear about it publicly. Yeah. I mean, the interviews I did were all anonymous, and so I could get them to contact, uh, to talk candidly, but they did. <laughs> they talked very candidly. And uh, that was one of the apprehensions that they have, yes. And so we're getting near the end of our time, but let me ask you one large, last large question. Um, it seems like a lot of um, what's going on can, can be sort of condensed down to different interpretations of synodality. Now, um, Archbishop Brolio, the president of our bishops' conference, talked in his remarks as, as president to his brother bishops that America already contains a great deal of what synodality seems to be aiming at, you know, a kind of a listening and, and interaction with one another at the parish level, a diocesan level. We have all kinds of, of organizations. And this is an old Tocquevillian point that American democracy, our, our, our uh, status as a frontier country forced us to be, to have civil society to a degree that doesn't exist in many other countries. We have this upsurging of kind of self-organizing things that are going on. And yet, um, he, had, he felt, I think he felt obliged to reaffirm that because Rome seems to think that this is a new discovery, which for us is really not so much the case. And so it's not simply that listening and, and, and conversing with one another as the direction, as you rightly were saying, that that conversing and listening is supposed to take us in, which for many people doesn't seem to be a... Um, uh, a, a um, faithful pursuance of what Vatican II gave us going forward. Um, that's just my reading of it. I don't know if that's your reading of it. No, I think it's true. I mean, look at if you if you take that word synodality and you look at how the process proceeded in places like Denver under Archbishop Aquila and other dioceses too, it's done extremely well. And and uh, the bishop was actively involved, helped direct the process, and um, it it. Gave, it got good fruit. I think the anxiety is is that the overall process globally is inward looking, and uh, at a time when we need to be very outward looking in terms of evangelization and re-evangelization of people. You know, the biggest issues, the biggest issue facing us right now globally, is answering the question: What and who is a human being? 
you know, and then and then reinforcing that and evangelizing the world with the correct attitude of the human person as an imago dei. I think the concern is is that synodality, is, synodality has the uh, temptation of uh, turning too inward and becoming a case of kind of conciliar navel-gazing, and that kind of thing is just really unproductive, and it's also particularly unproductive at this moment. Yeah. Now, we certainly see that in terms of the way, you know, we were talking about baptizing trans and even using the term trans and LGBT and, and whatnot mm -hmm. in the church. Fran, that's all the time. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, one well, of the things... Archbishop uh, Archbishop Shapu said at the 20, I think it was the 2015, maybe it was the 2018 Synod, was that uh, you don't use the term LGBT people. You don't assign that to persons. You can assign it to issues. But um, people are not purely defined by their sexuality. And, and uh, he was very concerned about that, I think rightly so, because it kind of sets, sets a class of people off as a victim class in an inappropriate way. And I don't think that's very helpful for the church. Yeah. Well, listen, we try to keep these uh, podcasts short because we know people have many, many yep. demands on their time. So, Fran, thanks very much. We certainly will have you back when your book comes out. Uh, True Confessions is the title. Uh, it's got a, a, a introduction by uh, Archbishop Shapu, another friend of ours, who I hope to get onto this uh, podcast one of these days. And I'm really looking forward to those interviews with the, the bishops and priests because I, I think we need to know what what people are saying privately. I mean, the only way you can get that candidly is through this anonymity that you've been able to uh, guarantee them that they're going to have. So I think that's going to be a remarkable book um, for us. Thank you, Fran. And we'll see you then, or if not sooner, probably very soon, actually, the way things are these days. Like, thanks again. And let me thank all you listeners and watchers. Uh, this is the Catholic Thing Podcast. If you want to follow with Fran and uh, many other um, very well-informed and eloquent people have to say about what's going on in the church and the world these days, please go to the website of The Catholic Thing, www.thecatholicthing.org, where you can subscribe without paying. It's for free, and you will have every day coming into your in inbox and your email the daily column, which is only a 1,000 words, and you can read probably over your first cup of coffee in the morning. So I'm Robert Royal, and we look forward to seeing you next time.